This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Take your Bibles, please, and let's go to Deuteronomy. We're going to be moving around the first five books of the Old Testament, and then be spending some time in the New Testament this morning as well. As you're turning, let me thank you for your cooperation with our seating this morning. We needed more room, and so I watched. You were careful to try to find a place where you could sit where there was blue tape, not in front of you, but on the pew directly behind you. And so nobody got left out this morning. Alan Berry made sure that there was even blue tape on the chairs to make sure that where we, our conscience was good as we sat where we were supposed to. So, Alan, thank you for being so thorough. Okay. The message today probably will take us this morning and then tonight, so you have to be back this evening. I'm just going to say that as we begin. Uh, we could move quickly through the material, uh, but I want to get you out on time, and then I also want to make sure that we have the time to really look into these truths and digest them spiritually like we need to. Because what we're looking at today is, is really the conclusion of this whole series that we've been in on faith's journey. When God laid it on my heart to do this series... I did not know specifically what evangelist John Van Gelderen would be speaking on, nor, of course, did I know how God was going to use that truth in our hearts, but I rejoice in how God has taken all the pieces, because it's truth, and how he's put it together to help us in our journey of sanctification. And so what we're looking at this morning, and then, Lord willing, again tonight, is vital to you running the race and finishing the course according to the will of God, looking into the eyes of Jesus and rejoicing with Him as He rejoices with you that He can say, well done, good and faithful servant. So we've been in this series that has shown us throughout God's Word a pattern that God used with Old Testament Israel, the New Testament church, about how He works in our lives. Before he uses a believer, there is a time of breaking and refining. It's the least favorite part of the Christian experience. Let's just be honest. But there is something about me and there is something about you that needs to be contrite and broken. We sang about it this morning. We all still have the flesh, though we don't have an old nature. I love the way Evangelist John Van Gelderen said it. The cross is like a knife that when we get saved, it cuts away the old man. You don't have an old nature. The problem is, though, when you get saved, you get, though you get a new nature, Christ, we're going to say more about that, He's all we need, He is all sufficient, but when we get the new nature, we don't get new flesh. That flesh that when the alarm went off this morning, everything in you rebelled. Okay, that's the flesh. 
This flesh, you didn't get a new mind. Don't you wish when you got saved you got a brand new mind? All the things from the past, those memories wiped away, they're gone. That's heaven, by the way. All the negative things, all the failure, the guilt, it's gone, but not now. So I get a new nature, but I don't get a new mind. That's why over and over in the scripture, the Lord tells me to take his word and renew my what? My mind. The washing of water by the word in heavy doses cleanses, washes away all that stuff that will trip me up in my spiritual walk. And I keep my mind centered on what God has said, the mind of God. So before he uses us, there's that breaking, refining. The key passage that we have been in is found in Deuteronomy 6.23. I'm going to put it up on the screen for you. But he brought us out from thence, out of Egypt, that he might bring us in to give us the land which he swore unto our fathers. So he brought us out. That is deliverance from Egypt. God delivered you from the world when you got saved. Egypt's a picture of the world. The wickedness, the idolatry, a completely different system, uh, different worldview, that's Egypt. God brought us out of that. It's the, the Christian salvation, separation from sin, the world, and the old nature through Christ that he might bring us in to give us the land which he swore unto our fathers. So entering the promised land is a picture of the Christian's victory through faith, explained by our Lord as, John 10, 10, the abundant life. I came that you might have life and that more abundantly. Not just live. I want you, God said, to really live, to know True freedom, spiritual life, that's my intent. But we know that there's this in-between time. That's the wilderness journey. A time of testing, trial to reveal what's in our heart. I like the way Jim Berg describes it. He says, our lives are like a teabag. You can hold up a teabag and you really don't know what's in the teabag until you stick it in that really hot water. What's in the teabag then comes out. Do you know what reveals what's really inside you and me? Not when things are going just like we want them to. Put us in hot water. And then we get to see what is really in the heart. Okay? So that's the in-between time. That's the wilderness journey. And so what God did with Israel in the wilderness is proof of the breaking process. Now again, Deuteronomy 8, 16, if you'll take a look there. Moses, the second declaration of the law, Deuteronomy, second law. Moses already knows he's not going into the promised land. And so he's delivering to Israel, again, a review of God's law. But he's going to review for them what these wilderness wanderings were all about. Deuteronomy 8.16, Who fed thee in the wilderness with manna, which thy fathers knew not, that he might humble thee, and that he might prove thee to do thee good at thy latter end. That's what it was about. 
Again, I want to remind us that this is supported in the New Testament. Uh, you may even want to do this next to Deuteronomy 8.16 in your Bible, right in this reference, 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, various trials, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found under the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Anybody here tired of trials? Oh, you are such a sober, not so honest group. Okay. Anybody here tired of trials? Be honest. It's okay. Okay. Yeah, Mark Taylor, getting charismatic on us here. Okay. <laughs> I'm tired of trials. But they're important. They are important. Because a million years from now, if we were tracking time, your trials aren't going to be remembered. But what they accomplished will be. All right. So. God's humbling process exposed Israel and helped them see their true self. After repeated opportunities, most refused to believe and were not permitted to enter the promised land. And so God initiated the breaking process in every Christian's life as he continues the good work that he began in us. So he's doing the same thing with us. But what is your spiritual reality? So after all that we've looked at, I want, to, want you to be honest, please, with the Lord this morning. What is your spiritual reality? In other words, in the wilderness wanderings, where do you fit into that picture? Go ahead and put a name on it. Are you a Joshua, a Caleb, a Moses? Or are you like those ten spies that said, yeah, it's everything God said, but we can't. And the level of spiritual growth you are experiencing answers the question for you. Are you experiencing the abundant life or the wilderness wanderings? Here's another question. How does unbelief still impact your journey? Are there things where you know in your heart because of the, the clear, still, small voice of the Holy Spirit? The Lord has said to you, this is the way, walk in it. And unbelief has stopped you. No. For this reason and this reason and this reason. And, and we kind of, we, we try to sanitize, oh, Lord, I'm just not ready. Uh, no, not yet. Is unbelief holding you back from spiritual growth? Now, for some, you're having a revival. I believe that as a result of the meetings and, and even perhaps some walking with the Lord beforehand, you're having a revival. But you know whether or not unbelief is holding you back. So when we consider again God's work, Joseph and Peter, 
didn't let unbelief affect their journeys. Now, there was failure. But when God worked in their lives, they yielded, unbelief was set aside, and they were able to continue to grow and be used. Joshua and Caleb lived in the breaking process in the wilderness journey, but they didn't let the unbelief of the ten other spies or the unbelief of the majority, the whole nation, deter them. God continued to work in their lives. They got to enter in. So this message today is primarily for those who will press on. God is going to have to do His work and say, I'm just not ready to move forward. Well, God is ready to break you. Not because He's against you, He's for you. But there's just going to have to be more breaking. But for those who are broken, humble in spirit, poor in spirit, those who want to go forward and experience more of the joys of the abundant life, here's what we need to remember today. With all the truth that we've considered, remember this. The big picture, again, I'm going to be quoting here Timothy Lane, Paul Tripp. They've written a wonderful book. I recommend it, How People Change. But here's what they say. As you examine the children of Israel in Exodus, don't think you are studying theology, though the study of Israel teaches us a great deal about God, does it not? Okay. Don't think you're studying theology. For all its theological importance, what you are studying is your own spiritual biography. The biblical picture is meant to be a mirror you use to see yourself as you are. If you're reading through the Bible again, or if you've read through the Bible, the children of Israel, they can be a little frustrating. God's done this and this and this and this, and now they need water and they're complaining again. What's their problem? Look in the mirror. What's your problem? It's the same as their problem. My flesh wants to doubt God. And so, if change is going to happen, I need to see the big picture and stay focused on the big picture. Now, is there New Testament proof that what we've learned about Israel's journey is really, really about our own spiritual biography? Is there any proof to that? Well, I'm so glad you asked. Thank you. Let's turn over now to 1 Corinthians. And notice what the Apostle Paul does in chapter 10. 1 Corinthians 10, looking back at the children of Israel. Watch this. This is amazing. Chapter 10, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant, how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. What's the sea? Red Sea. Good. The cloud, pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. And all were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all did eat the same spiritual meat, the manna from heaven. All did drink the same spiritual drink, 
It was spiritual in that it was of God, however he chose to provide it. And they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Now we, we give pause here because we think, did the children of Israel realize that this was all about the Messiah? Well, I don't think so. They had the covenants, they had some of the promises, but, but what God was doing in them for that dispensation was to help them enter into a physical land. But God allowed all that and worked through all that so that His people, and I'm speaking to you this morning, so that His people could understand these truths and enter into abundant life. Verse 5, But with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now wait a minute, what did Paul just do here in the text? He just reviewed the wilderness wanderings, okay? Verse 11, now all these things happened unto them for and samples. Now earlier we saw examples, now it's a different spelling but on purpose that they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, application, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. All right, so let's, let's back up now. Why are the words example, used, the word used example in verse 6 and then end sample in verse 11? Why are they different? Well, without getting too technical, it isn't because they are different words. In fact, if you looked it up in a Greek New Testament, it's the same word. But here's the word. See if you can recognize our English word. Typos. So what's the English word? They are types for us. What's that mean? The translators changed the spelling so we didn't miss it. God was using the children of Israel to exemplify or symbolize what life's journey looks like for those who will follow Him by faith and what life looks like for those who will not follow Him by faith. You get to choose. You can stay in the wilderness or you get to enter the promised land. Now, as we look at Scripture and all this wonderful truth, pretty obvious which one, right? Wilderness, desert, or the promised land. But these examples are illustrative, illustrative for us. All right, so let's continue. Life can be a wilderness. 
that you stay in as God tries to work on your heart, or you can let him prepare you for promised land and abundant life. Now let me give a warning. Think back to Israel in the wilderness and even Paul's commentary written to the Corinthians. And by the way, when he's writing to the Corinthians, primarily who is his audience, Jewish or Gentile? Gentile. Well, what do the Jews have to do with the Gentiles? Because what happened with them is how God intends to work in us. There you go. So, the warning. What defined those who didn't see the big picture? What were their lives like? Well, here it is. From the text. Lust, idolatry, Governed by their appetites. Now let me ask a sad question. You already know the answer to it. Are any Christians ever governed by lust, idolatry, and their appetites? Yes. Because that's where they think the promised land is. But if they're honest with their hearts and with the Lord who's speaking to them, they're in an awful wilderness. And by the way, it's not that big of a wilderness. So for 40 years, what did the children of Israel do? Well, this is exciting. That was life. And for a Christian who is not walking with the Lord, letting him grow them, who's not experiencing the abundant life, life is a wilderness. So instead of being satisfied with God, they were dominated by their appetites. And what do they keep longing for? This, this just amazes me. If we could only go back to Egypt. Because there are, there's garlic and leeks there. Man, you're desperate. Fish. Okay. No, Egypt is synonymous with slavery. It would be better if we were back in slavery. You're not even thinking straight. But when we long for the past life, we're asking back for bondage and slavery. And our perfect Father in heaven who loves us knows that's not what's best for you. So you can wander in the wilderness or you can let him prepare you for promised land, abundant life. Which is it going to be? It's interesting, their idolatry, lust, and lack of faith were ruining them. But they want to have more. Just like Christians, some Christians today. And God's provision is never good enough and so they keep looking back. Now for those who will press on and face journey, remember that God gave us the account of Israel in the wilderness so that we can see what we really are. Now second, the account of Israel in the wilderness is meant to remind us that, here you go, you are in a God-centered relationship. You are in a God-centered relationship relationship. Now let me give you the title of today's mess, uh, message. 
Okay, we're concluding with this message. The title is Faith Journey with God. Faith Journey with God. So think back to Hebrews chapter 11, all these heroes of faith. Where were they looking? To God. And that's how they were able to complete their journey. Okay? In fact, we're told that they, they weren't looking for a city made with hands. Abraham was looking for a city not made with hands. His, his eyes were heavenward. And then we get in chapter 12, and what's the admonition to us? Well, you've got this great cloud of witnesses. You have their examples. Looking unto Jesus. That's how we press on. Who for the prize that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the Father. All right. So faith's journey with God. God always meant for your journey to be with him as you trust him by faith. He wanted you to take the hike with him. Now, I don't know about you, but hiking isn't my favorite thing to do may have a little something to do with the shape I'm in, but anyway, that's beside the point, okay. It's always fun to do it with somebody. Realize that the wilderness isn't, isn't really the wilderness if your eyes are on Jesus and you're just walking with Him. Isn't that a blessing? Isn't that a joy? Israel had the opportunity to look up, and, by, and during the day there was a pillar of cloud, at night, when it's dark and there may be enemies lurking, you're in the wilderness, there are a lot of scary noises out there. Look up! There's a pillar of fire. And underneath that is the Ark of the Covenant and the presence of God presides between the cherubim, which represents the reality of what's in heaven eternally. So we have nothing to fear. Our wants are going to be taken care of. We're going to be protected. We just need to keep looking up. Now consider these passages. When the children of Israel, after more repeated failure, are sent into captivity for 70 years, and then some people look up, and, and Ezra and Zerubbabel and Nehemiah come back, temples rebuilt, Jerusalem's rebuilt. We read this in Nehemiah 9, 7 and 8. Thou art the Lord, the God, who didst choose Abram and brought us him forth out of Ur of the Chaldees and gave him the name of Abraham and foundest his heart faithful before thee and madest a covenant with him. Now I'm going to stop right there. What's the covenant about? Fellowship with God. God committing himself, Abraham yielding to God. God-centered relationship. Then the rest of the chapter quotes the Levite leaders in Nehemiah's time as they recount God's faithfulness to his people through the wilderness. A chunk of chapter 9 talks about the wilderness again. Through the wilderness and right up to their time under Ezra and Nehemiah. What's the point? God never forsook them, Nehemiah 9. He never left them. They even kept trying to leave him. But he never left them. That's your God. Say, well, I've wandered away. Yeah, but he hasn't. 
He hasn't. Consider this text. Exodus 19, 4 and 5. For ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, God says, and how I bear you up on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. Verse 5. Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. For all the earth is mine. So you are in a God-centered relationship initiated by God Himself. But even more gracious and amazing is this, that the relationship is redemptive. It's redemptive. How committed was God to the relationship? Well, this will encourage your heart. Go back to Exodus chapter 12. And it should not be lost on us. And this isn't because your pastor is a great planner. The Holy Spirit is a great leader. What is this Friday? Good Friday. What do the Jews call it? What do they call it? It's Passover. Where did it start? Egypt. So, look with me. Exodus chapter 12. I'm getting there, I promise. All right, Exodus 12, notice verse 13. So after giving these instructions about how the Passover is to work, the Lord says this, The blood shall be to you for a token upon your houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. Drop down to verse 22. And ye shall take a bunch of hyssop, and dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and strike the lintel and the two sides... Uh, pose with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out at the door of this house until the morning. So, the lentil across the top, the sides. And as the children have learned in, in some of their Bible lessons, we've tried to teach them, you, can, you connect those lines and what do you have? You have a cross. And as long as you are within the cross, nothing can touch you. Reading on, verse 23, For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. And when he seeth the blood upon the lintel and the two side posts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not suffer the destroyer to come in unto your houses to smite you. And ye shall observe this thing for an ordinance to thee and to thy sons forever. And it shall come to pass, when ye be come to the land which the Lord will give you, promised land, according as he hath promised, that ye shall keep his, this service. Continue to remember is what he's saying. And it shall come to pass when your children shall say unto you, What mean ye by this service? Why are we still celebrating Passover? 
that ye shall say it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt and he smote the Egyptians and delivered our houses and the people bowed the head and what? When they heard this, they bowed and worshipped. Go over to chapter 24 of Exodus. Exodus 24 and notice please verse 8. And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant which the Lord hath made with you concerning all these words. So Passover related, or revealed rather, what God was willing to do to have a relationship with us. What was he willing to do? Remember that Jesus' redemptive work in us is what this all pointed to. It was all about God promising Abraham, through your seed all nations of the earth would be blessed. Abraham, Boaz, David, Jesus. And how would we be blessed through Christ? Well, it's on the screen for you. Jesus' redemptive work in us will be the focus of our eternal celebration of worship. Why? Because that's what gets us from heaven to, or from earth to heaven. That's what gets us out of Egypt and into a, an eternal relationship with God. Without blood, it could not have happened. So on this Palm Sunday, before Easter, when right there on Friday we think about Passover and Christ's awful but necessary sacrifice for us. What was that all about? Because God, for His glory, wanted to have a relationship with you. Now let's close with just a quick, quick reflection, and we're going to finish the message tonight, with just a quick reflection on what Palm Sunday was about. Jesus comes down the Mount of Olives, and as he gets closer to Jerusalem, the crowd is growing, the sound is growing, people are laying down their, their, their coats, they're cutting down palm branches, they're putting that in front of, of the Lord, there are shouts of Hosanna, and what is the majority of the people thinking? He's going to make my life better now. Well, he might even just walk right into Jerusalem and just take over and we have a new king. That's not what it was about. And when they discovered that it wasn't about their appetites and their wants and them having a better life here, they turned on him and days later he was crucified. Now, think about that mindset. Think about what it reveals about the human heart. Think about the children of Israel where God provided everything they needed. You can't think of a single thing Israel needed that God didn't provide in the wilderness. And what did they do? They turned from Him and longed for Egypt. They would not follow Him into the land of promise. And that identifies on this Palm Sunday what is broken about you and broken about me because we're still in flesh. 
So we need the breaking process, but the breaking process isn't so bad when we realize it's just a gracious potter working on me to make me into his wonderful image. I just need to yield to that. And if it means the death of a loved one, if it means that, that I have financial setbacks, though I've tried to be a good steward, if that means that, that all of a sudden my health is broken and then other tragedies just seem to stack up on what I'm facing, wait a minute, your God's in control. And he is working on what is broken about you to fix you because he wants you to have abundant life. Isn't God good? And the whole time he's never going to leave you or forsake you. And the whole time you can fellowship with him and just bask in his presence, praise him, worship him, cast your care upon him, knowing he's still going to meet your needs. And in the end, you get to spend heaven with him forever. So don't lose heart. But please don't look back at Egypt. That's not the answer. In your flesh, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And nothing proves that as much as what the truth we're looking at today. All right, so let's journey on. I will tell the saints and angels as I lay my burden down. Jesus led me all the way. So let's walk with him. Let's let him lead us. Father, thank you for this truth. Lord, we look forward tonight, by your grace, finishing this truth up. Lord, looking at some other important aspects of the wilderness wanderings. And God, your gracious hand, what you were doing. It's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to take our eyes off of you. Father, you're committed to this relationship. You won't leave us and you cannot change. So help us trust you for change. Because we need to be made into the image of Christ. And Lord, if there's anyone here today who's discouraged, thinking that maybe the Christian life was a bad choice, Lord, open their eyes. Help them to realize that that's the flesh speaking, not the gracious Spirit of God. And help us to live in the reality that this journey is a God-centered relationship. Help us to walk with you. Toward the hope of our high calling, toward the promise we've received. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened and God's word has had an impact on your life as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.